What's up, guys? We're here with uh, Gorilla One on the Space Between. What's up? What's up? Uh, I'm the co-host. Here's our host, Joey Natolo. Hey, what's up, Eddie? How you doing? We have the wonderful privilege today to be here with Esteban Oriel. Mm -hmm. Thank you. King of L.A. photography and lifestyle <laughs> culture. Soul Assassins. Um, just checked out the, the documentary. Yeah, yeah that's, just, that was sick. Just, just coming off a Netflix run with L.A. Originals. Yeah, we had a good one on that. Yeah. How long did you work on that for? Uh, the, I started filming it probably in uh, the mid-90s, and then we were going to try and drop it in the early 2000s, and uh, Brian Grazer, uh, it was between Brian Grazer and, and, um, and Lawrence Bender, and Lawrence Bender wanted to do a documentary and Brian Grazer wanted to do a feature. So in order to do the feature, the documentary had to be locked up. So we took 10 years to do the, the, uh, the feature. And then um, it took a couple years for the footage to be released after that. So then in 2017, I met a guy from Argentina named uh, Sebastian Ortega. And he told me, hey, you want to put out that documentary you know whatever happened when I go I just got the footage back now the rights to everything so he was like can do you mind if if I do it with you and I was like no let's do it you know because after talking to him he was like the only low rider in Argentina he was a big time uh, TV and movie exec in Argentina and, and he's all tatted up wears uh, t-shirts and dickies and Chuck Taylors every day so I was like you know this guy gets it you know so I went down to Argentina looked at his production facility and I was like man we need to do this so he walked it into Netflix when he got the first rough cut in Argentina and then they played it for the guys over here and then it, it got a it got worldwide release but at first it was just going to be for Latin America. That's why if you see any uh, press on it, it looks like it's a film from Argentina. All right. Now, like this, after looking at that, I was talking to Eddie. It's like you guys are really like the heartbeat for Chicano lifestyle or lowrider lifestyle. Like looking at that, I was talking to, uh, to Seth when I said you were coming in. He like threw on the shirt. He's like, bro, I got to sit down and check this out. Yeah. Just because like looking at like, you know what I mean? Like the importance of... I think even talking about those producers you mentioned, that they'd be interested, the, the mass crossover appeal that that lifestyle has had and the influence it's had on like little white kids in Calabasas or, you know, wherever it goes, you know, Japan yeah, or, everywhere. you know, yeah, made quite an like impact. For years, you know, I mean, ever since I can remember, um, you know, everything always would start in the hood, it seemed like, you yeah. know, like the, all the cool stuff. And even though kids, you know, in these places had all the money in the world, they couldn't buy that. No. So they're kind of, you know, energy is directed to that. They want to yeah. be the bad boys and, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. So you end know. up, uh, you know, leaning towards that way and they get twisted up in the, in the hood and, you know, end up. Where they end up. theirs off, you know, mm. <laughs> with, their, with their parents or you know, their position at their parents' company that they were gonna have or whatever, or, 
blowing their you know family's money or whatever so it's it's always uh, been like kind of a thing for the kids out in the, you know these type of areas to not all of them but you know there's some that pick that direction to go to and um, you know everybody sees the the richness in that in the culture in that in those areas you know like there's just so much going on there it's like the the heartbeat of the city totally yeah like it's it is a heartbeat like straight up it's when people are going in and out like when watching that it's like it's unbelievable to what what it is that you got you tapped into like even not like not really even like did you realize what you were tapping into when you guys actually like started out with cyprus and taking you know and shooting these guys what that would turn into we didn't even you know you all know? of us didn't know anything we didn't even know what we were doing you know i was i was filming and taking pictures but not even knowing what i was doing what i was filming i didn't know how to use the cameras i never got training my dad handed me the camera and he was like hey man you should document what you're doing because at that time i was low riding i was on tour with house of pain and he gives me this camera that him and his wife had and he was like you know if you look in the in the viewfinder there's these two needles and when they line up it's ready to shoot so you have to turn this knob and and on the lens and when they match up you're ready i was like all right cool so to me i was like you know i don't want to do that because it's like i usually saw like paparazzis and and tourists with cameras so i kind of was like even though I knew there was, a, a, you know, professional guys doing it, the majority of people with cameras were like tourists or paparazzis, you know. So I kind of wasn't really like into it. I was like, yeah, okay, Dad, you know, I'll try it. But then I started taking a couple pictures here and there, like, you know, my homie is low riding, and then when we'd go on tour, and uh, when I'd come back, everybody would be like, hey, let's see, see the photos that you took when we were on tour, you know, the lowrider guys would be like, hey, can I get a picture of my car? Well, yeah, here, because, you know, I go to the one hour photo place and make everybody the 35 cent photos. And they'd be like, damn, this is bad, you know, like, fuck, you really got it. And I was like, okay, cool. You know, and then <laughs> I would see my other friends' photos from the same <laughs> events we were at. And I'd be like, damn, what were they shooting? Yeah, what right? They What's yeah. wrong with their what's wrong with their camera or whatever? I thought it was their camera. I didn't know that, you know, it was the eye, you know? Yeah. And then I started like then I started thinking like, oh, I think I have something different here than what regular people have when they take a photo. And I just started going a little bit harder on it and, and this lady that worked at the photo lab where I took my photos to, she was like, Hey, um, you never print anything you know can i make some prints for you i was like yeah sure because i always just had the um the contact sheets the proof sheets that when they make uh develop the film they give you like a one sheet thing with all the photos like the strips of the negatives yeah and i had these envelopes in milk crates in the back of my car that was my office me and cartoon used to roll around in the 84 cutlass and i had two milk crates full of contact sheets in the back and then he had his like his little box with his pencils and pens and stuff and we used to roll around to coffee shops and you know chop it up or roll around to like a kinko's and print shit out and just start brainstorming 
so we really didn't know anything we were doing you know and then you know we we're with the homies from house of pain and cypress like they were just starting out too so they didn't know their music was going to hit or anything and cypress took off and then the next year house of pain came out and and when i first took that job with house of pain it was for no money it was like um expenses and i used to work you know you brought brent bolt house i used to do his door and i did construction during the day and i did other doors at clubs at night so i was making a decent amount of money for the way i was living my apartment was 450 bucks a month you know i had my car i didn't have no i had no bills really right so the amount of money i was making at that time i was cool but i gave that up to go work with house of pain for free just for the expenses and then that shit took off that summer like that first that first time we hit the road and we were going to do uh promotional stuff the radio station started picking it up and we started doing these little spot date shows and then we got on the beastie boy tour and it was over yeah so from the gate nobody knew what they were doing we were all fresh you know coming into all this type of industry and at, right out the gate we all started like you know doing our thing and that motivated us and pushed us you know to work harder and you know we're all kind of competitive so we all got like okay cool we're on to something we got something good and we just kept pushing it and kept you know pushing each other and and you know we we became like this team that we we're like pumping each other up all the time and and it worked you know yeah so we ended up i ended up having all this footage and all these photos and i was like man what am i gonna do with all this shit now so <laughs> then we thought of well let's do a documentary let's do books and started putting out books and then the documentary thing we made a trailer for 200 bucks we got somebody to edit a trailer showed that to all these people and you know we ended up getting a deal and the rest you know it is what it is now you know but it was a lot it was a, a good 20 25 plus years of work that we've been putting into it and then we got the 90 minute deal so it was like we had to make like a highlight reel of the 25 years yeah you made it cool for like mickey mouse to throw gang signs and shit right the la i'm kidding yeah i mean yeah. <laughs> i mean that la that was a big deal because i was like people used to kind of like look at that and be like nah like you don't want to do that and the next thing you know that thing was like everywhere yeah now right? there's kids all over the world it's got like i think it's probably the most tattooed photograph in the world because i see like people hit me up every day they're showing me hey i got the i got your photograph tattooed on me and i'm like damn that's crazy you know yeah but it's so cool that people want one of my photos on them for the rest of their life and it's that one you know yeah like there's a lot of photos of Marilyn Monroe or something like that tattooed on people but it's not the same photo it's like you know yeah different different, different photos yeah. you know 30 different photos different shot but that photo is just, there's only one, only one of that photo you know yeah but the way I was telling you too the way you capture things because you get anyone from somebody in the gutter in the street you know strung out or whatever to Kim Kardashian over here you know what I'm saying like the dynamic yeah. and the polarities of what you shoot 
is what I find to be so fascinating. You know, like yeah. that's how I grew up. I, you know, but I hid from that shit. You know what I mean? But I was able to bounce into the other scene and be like, okay, this is it. This is cool. But yeah. my the where I was from, because all my friends were Mexican and black, and I lived in a, a pretty interesting neighborhood. You know, so I was able to kind of bounce out of that neighborhood and go to the other one. And be like, oh, okay, this is kind of like more casual. I can breathe here. Yeah. <laughs> it's a little more tense in this other situation. Yeah, you know, but it was, uh, it's, it was fascinating watching that um, documentary, and I loved it. I just want to tell you that right off the bat, that was great. Thank What's you. crazy is back in those original days, when I first met you, we were all. I was working with you and him at the same time. And Danny Boy was just some skinny kid. That I used to like see hanging out like a donut shop. Like, oh, there's that skinny kid again. And that's how. No I one met. knew. That's how I met. I didn't like him. I'd be like, I swear, we used to get in arguments. I'd be like, fuck, like me and Danny Boy didn't like each other, but he was just like, just you know, lanky guy that was trying to rap and do some things. That I was like, this kid ain't gonna make it. Don't waste your time. And then you were like, damn, he did it. But like in the day, he was just like, he didn't, you know what I mean? But he didn't stop. He kind of just kept going to that donut shop, whatever the fuck he was doing. Well, there. I mean, I, I had a different take on Danny. When I met Danny, I, I seen how talented he was. You know, he's not the nicest guy in the world, but he was talented. He could draw. Yeah, he had an eye, but it was a different yeah. kind of eye. He's the one that came up with the logo. He's the one that came up with the name of the band. He so actually, like, yeah. yeah. He did I, all the merch yeah. for the band. Like, he designed it. I'm like, you know. And he also had a really unique talent at getting people together. You yep. know, and, and camaraderie and like, you know, Mickey Mouse Club, you know what I mean? Like he just had this thing about him. I just knew it. Like I met him and we became instantly became friends. And then he said, hey, you want to go on the road with us? That was like some, did you know the Mickey Mouse Club? Like the like a white boy? Yeah, I heard about it. With, crew, like I, that's why like I didn't like, to me, my friends would be like, nah. But there were some guys there that were like, you know, whatever. But my friends were just like, yeah, you know? So I just never, whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Dead? We lost him. No, I was there. I was just trying to explain about the time <laughs> that I met you. And then he went off about when was me it? how whack Mickey Mouse Club was. Um, I said, Danny said, do you want to go out on the road with me? And I was like, nope, for no money. I got to, what, 320 in per diem? Yeah. And we got picked up at 530 in the morning, and we pulled up to Las Palmas in the white van. Yeah. And it was me, Eric, Lee. Gator wasn't even out then. It was me, Eric, and Lee, and you were the last stop. Yeah. And you came down with your shit and got in the in the in the van. It was like you're gonna be working for him. And I was like, okay, we didn't even know each other, but yeah. I mean, instantly on the road, it was like we, you know, we were we kicked it harder than I kicked it with them because it was different. Yeah. They were different. They were yeah. doing their own thing. They were the guys in the on the stage. Yeah. And I, and you actually, I wanted to be a photographer after the first tour with you because you were just always shooting photos. I used to go by the insta insta. Insta ones, yeah. and we'd be at the one hour photo every stop. Yeah. Yeah. It was fun. We had a good time. Yeah, I want to see those pictures. Yeah. You got, you I, mean, got I sent you a couple. Yeah, I know. Yeah. You probably got some good ones up. I do. I remember one time I left my camera in his room. He was ironing his t shirt. And I was like getting bored. I'm like, I'm going to go downstairs now. And I left my camera in his room. And he said, oh, he left your camera room. So we went to the one hour photo and I got the camera rolled back and it wasn't a contact sheet, it was actual photos. And I look and there's a picture of a turd in a toilet bowl. And I'm like, these 
they went and shot a picture of a turd in a toilet bowl on my camera and he's laughing at me I'm like let's go back man I gotta go say something he's like no you can't do that I go why not he goes that was me <laughs> it was funny that's what, that, 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 that's what they call me. that was the shit right? <laughs> that was that's the shit saying, that's the shit <laughs> but yeah we had some good times on the road which you know when I was watching the documentary it reminded me of a lot because a lot of that stuff I was there for like Spotlight with Cartoon yep. that's where I got all my cartoon tattoos but I mean, and one thing I think is interesting how you say we had no idea what we were doing because you don't, you you had no idea where it was gonna take you, did you? No, I'd never been a road manager before. You know, Muggs told me, yeah, you just go with them and check them in the hotel, make sure they get to the interviews on time, and when you guys do shows, you just make sure everything gets set up. I was like, yeah, cool, and I just gotta do that. Yeah, no problem. And little did I know, I was just gonna be an accountant, a security. DJ Ted. DJ. I think DJ one of the tech. other Davids, the 45 Davids, you know, it was David Kim. Do you know David, David Kim? Donut. I'm going to have to check him out. Donut. Do you know, Donut. You know what I'm talking about? David Kim, the big, the big Korean Donut. dude. Donut. He was security for Limp when we were out on the Napster tour. He was big, the big He's a Korean big old dude. Korean dude. But Did he, he also used to work for Brent Bullhouse. No, he's alive still. But he also worked for Brent Bullhouse. You, know you used to have that big Cadillac? Sure. I'd probably know him if I saw him. Yeah. yeah you know That's the other thing sure. with that job. I met thousands of people. And I just, there's no way in the world you can remember everybody unless they just stuck out like that. Yeah. That hard because, I mean, we met hundreds of people on the daily. You know, like imagine that for 15 years, years, you know? Yeah. Who gave you your first camera, your pa? Yeah, my dad and his wife, they had an extra one. So they were like here. And then I, uh, it was a Minolta. For what? It's the mic. So, so your dad, your dad, who gave you your first, who gave you your first, your first camera? Your dad? Uh, my dad and his wife. Yeah. It was a Minolta, and then um, when I got um, you know, got a little money, I went and bought a Canon A1, and I went to give them back that camera, and they're like, no, no, you keep it. So I still have that. It's like memorabilia, and then uh, since then I probably bought like 25, 30 Canon A1s because. I put them to, you know, put them to use. They're like, like Timex, you know, they take a licking, keep taking. Yeah. So they're, they're pretty durable cameras, you know, I drop them, they get beat up. And um, it's cheaper to buy a new one than to get them fixed. Yeah. And the guys are like, yeah, we can fix it. Just a couple hundred bucks. I'm like, cool. I'll buy one off, offline for 50. Do you ever have like kids, like young kids coming up to you that want to start shooting, you know what I mean, that live in the city that... Yeah. Because there's a lot of... Every day. Yeah? Maybe. Every day they want to, you know, but that's, you know, I, I want to give back and do all that and I do do that, but it's draining how much people want from you, you know? Yeah. Like they're just like, they just want me to stop my life to make theirs, you know? I'm like, come on, you know, like... You got to do something, you know, you got to make some type of effort and shit, you know, yeah. you come in like moping around and fuck, I'm like, hey, bro, I can't even do do all that right now, you know, like looking at your face, moping around, I got to, I got to keep it moving, like, <laughs> that makes me want to go jump off a bridge or something, you know. Yeah, 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 no, no, but the, yeah, but there's a thing, you know, having young guys come up that, you know, that when you leave that, you you know, you pass a little bit of that craft off, there's not many that can do it, you yeah. know, there's be the... You might have, you know, there'd be one dude that's going to be your guy that comes out that's successful. Speaking but, of, look who walks in. There yeah, he is. So one, one dude. 
Yeah. yeah. And that's well, all it did. Like, moping, like, but look what you look at the one no. D what it did. No. All right. But yeah, you if know. you think of what you as one dude, right, yeah. did, like if you actually look at it, if you step outside of it, like it really kind of like that's why I said I, I felt like the heartbeat of that lifestyle because when I looked at it, I was like, wow, he he hit it, you know, and on on every angle and how you did it, not knowing. It's probably the beauty of it was not knowing, yeah. going in just fucking for sure, like definitely. you know, dog patch wino, like I'm going in, you know, and then you just. And it created, you created like a movement. Yeah. You know? Yeah, definitely uh, it was a, a plus, you know, not not knowing what I was doing. Because, you know, I came at it in a different way, you know? I yeah. Was, you, know what I, you know what I always used to see was like, they have the, the guardrails, right, for the stage. And Press gets first two songs or three songs, right? Yeah. And when he would get in there, you, you would shoot it different. Like, dudes would get in there and just capture the shot. Like, oh, I got Everlast. That's it. I'm out of here. And Esteban would be climbing all over him, like, getting, you know what I mean? Just getting different angles. Yeah. And I'd be like, wow, he's in there, like, really getting it, not just trying to get the shot for the local or for the, you know. Yeah. At the time, there was no gram. So it was like, but literally, they would get their staple shots, the band together, close up a Lee, Eric a couple times, Danny. And then yeah. they're like, oh, well, my job's over. You know what though? There's a, I, I'm telling you, there's a spiritual understanding because besides having an eye, there's times where he just knows when to grab people. Like how would he just know the certain time when to grab certain people and click that thing off and people go and everybody respond to that? Yeah, that's his guide. You know? Like that's not, you know what I mean? Like, because like you said, I have 10 other people. I look at my camera and I look at my son when he shoots and I'd be like, fucking shake mine. And I go, doesn't do what his does. Yeah. Because he's a shooter. He's really, he's a talented guy. But, you know, it's similar. You know, like you just, have something else that's beyond the eye because that, that when they when it showed the uh i think it was blink and i think it was like one of their last shots they took together in the, in the documentary yeah, yeah. and you just kind of went hey hey come here and you grabbed them stuff like that the timing it's besides the eye it's the understanding of the timing of everything coming together at that time and capturing it yeah the moment's important well how about that moment with al pacino and de niro remember that one yep you yeah. had to do it right at that moment yeah, I'll never forget that one. Tell yeah, us they gave that. me like uh, the whole story? Yeah, the, the short version. Yeah. Okay. The short version is um, once me and Cartoon got up on our feet and started working, you know, we had people working with us. Like we had partners that would go in and do the negotiating. We like to call them, you know, we had our white guy. So we had our white guy that would go into these meetings and you know they'd get all the the meeting going for us and then we would just come in and do the artwork because you know it was different when we'd come into a meeting or when we'd have somebody go in and represent us you know it's it's a lot easier for us to you know to put our price out there like you don't want to be haggling with the the client you know yeah. so we'd always have our guy that would come in and let him do that you know and he could come back to us and say hey they want to pay you this and we're like no nope put on another, you know, another couple zeros on there. So there was a meeting for this movie, Righteous Kill, that where they wanted Cartoon to do a skateboard for Rob Deerdick because he was in the movie. And I was like, Cartoon came back and he's like, hey man, they want me to do a skateboard for Rob Deerdick, you know, for this movie with Al Pacino and Robert De Niro. I was like, oh, okay. And my head just went, we're about to explode, you know, like, whoa, we're going to do 
our company's going to do a project with, you know, Al Pacino and Robert De Niro, but it's not them. You know, like, we need to do those guys. And so we told our partner, like, hey, why don't you pitch? Because at that same time, um, Shepard Ferry had done an alternative marketing poster for uh, the Johnny Cash movie. Walk the Line. Walk yeah. the Line. So there was the real one, and then they had this one that, that Shepard Ferry had done, and I was like, we need to do that for this movie, but we need to do it of Robert De Niro and Al Pacino. And, and our partner was like, no, you know, you're kind of, you know, stepping out of your bounds, you know, like you're going too high, you know, like let us just do, let's just do the skateboard. That's what they want. I was like, the skateboard is cool, but like I've been watching these dudes' movies for 30 years. Like we need to get at them, you know, like right now is our chance, you know, to, to get our idols, you know, people that we looked up to. So I told Cartoon, hey, when you go to that meeting, you know, just drop, just throw it out there, you know, see what they say. And he's like, yeah, I got this, you know. So I was like, we can't let those guys just slip through our fingers. And, right. you know, this is our one chance. When we might never get it. So he pitched it. And they said, well, we had already we already shot the movie poster. But if you guys want to do a spec movie poster, you know, like a free thing. And, you know, if it gets picked up, then you get paid later. We could do that. And I was like, okay, cool. So he told him, um, why don't I draw something of them for that poster, and, but you give me some photos, you know, or, or I can have my, my partner do it. So they go, oh, well, we shot a lot of photos, you know, so we'll, we'll give you some photos. And, and, uh, and they, he came back and he goes, hey, man, you know, I tried to pitch you to do the photos, but they're like, you know, we already have a bunch of photos of them. We don't need any more new ones. So I was like, fuck, what can we do now? And he, so we were looking through the photos and we were like, these are, you know, these are not that great. Tell them that, you know, go back and have a meeting with them and tell them you need me to do it because you couldn't find nothing on these photos that, that they have. So he went back and told me, you know, I, I looked through the photos, they're not that great. And she, they were like, yeah, well, you know, we kind of felt the same way, but you know, maybe we can send your guy, maybe we can't, we don't know because we're finished shooting. And then there was a makeup day where they had to sh reshoot right. and they sent me there. And it was like on a Tuesday that they were gonna shoot Robert De Niro and Thursday that they're gonna shoot Al Pacino and I was gonna go shoot one and one and then put them together on the, you know, on the photo and then we'd do this, uh, you know, cartoon would draw and that would be the poster. So I get there on the Tuesday and I wait there for eight hours and the guy, the director goes, hey, come on the shoot, you know, get your shot of Robert De Niro. So I go in there and the, it was lit to where they were, when they were sitting down, it was lit for that. So, but I needed him standing up. So when I stood him up, there was no lighting on him. So it was like garbage lighting. So I shot one photo, you know, just one thing just to make them cool. And then I was just gonna wait till they were done and moved them to another place outside. Wait there eight hours, didn't take no pictures. And then I, I left and I was like, hey man, I told my part, one of my partners, I was like, hey, I didn't get the shot. You know, he goes, what do you mean? You were there eight hours. I go, yeah, they didn't let me shoot. You know, they didn't let me do my thing. 
he so he tells them and it goes out an email to 60 people like you know everybody at the movie theater or everybody at the movie companies and productions and all that and i was like man they got me good on this one you know they're like esteban did not get the shot <laughs> and, I <was> like, <laughs> and i was like to me it looked like all i saw you know like there was like a couple sentences but it, to me it was just like big letters that said esteban fucked up right so i told my wife i was like hey man they and she goes and, and what so what go back there tomorrow and get the shot i was like i can't just go back there tomorrow like, well you were standing there eight hours and you didn't get the shot i go nope you know, I couldn't, you know, what do you want me to do? Go up and grab him in a headlock and be like, hey, Robert, you know, I need to get this picture. She's like, yeah, that's what you need to do. And I was like, well, you know, I didn't do it. And she goes, okay, so are you going to quit now or, or you're going to go back tomorrow and get the thing? <laughs> and I was like, you know, she's I... She's sending you back in. Yeah, Angel. like, right? Angel's shot, not playing. Right, they're shot, like wondering who's the tough one. She's like, she's sending yeah, you back in. Yeah, I went and in. shot uh, Dennis Hopper like two years before. And um, when I shot him, I was like, hey, if I ever got to shoot Robert De Niro and Al Pacino now, I could quit. So she threw that in my face, like, hey, man, didn't you say if you shot these two guys, you could quit? I go, yeah. And she goes, well, there you were standing right next to me. You didn't take no pictures of them. So what's up with that? And I was like, fuck. And I was pissed. You know, I called my partner back and I go, Hey man, tell them I'm coming back tomorrow. He goes, <laughs> tell them I'm coming yeah. back. He goes, what do you mean? I go. He goes, you you missed the shot. And I go, no no, call them up, tell them I'm coming back tomorrow. I'll get the shot tomorrow. I go, don't ask them, tell them. Like you know, not in a bad way. Just be like, yeah. hey, Stevan, you know, is gonna come back tomorrow. He's you know got the day day free. He's gonna come and shoot. They go, oh great. They'll both be there tomorrow. He can do them together. I was like, well, fucking, why didn't they set that up right. before? Like, right. they, you yeah. know, why they yeah, do happened? all this drama Tuesday and the Thursday and all that shit? The next day I go, I'm there six hours. It's freezing. It's in Culver City, and it's, like, cold out that day. And I had went to Sammy's and bought an extra camera for a backup just in case my camera messes up. <laughs> and I, I go, they're like, hey, where's that guy? I want to take the pictures. And the two doors open up, and there comes, like, 30 people with Al and Bobby in the front. I go, yeah, I'm right here. And they go, you ready? I go, yeah, I'm ready. So I pick up my one camera, try to shoot. It doesn't fire off. And I was like, man, I'm so lucky. I went to Sammy's and bought this brand new one. I pick it up. It doesn't fire. And I was like, I started thinking like, this isn't, you know, this isn't happening, you know? So I go in my backup camera. I got my third one. It's this big, huge Pentax 6-7. And, and it fires off. And Al Pacino's like, yeah, hey, I like that one. That's great. You know, that's, you know, that's a, that's a good camera right there because it's loud. It's like, <laughs> it's like clicks, you know? He's like, yeah, I got that's a, a, that's a good you know, one. That's great. So I, I got like, started to shoot him. I shot off like two or three frames and they go, okay, put Bobby in there. Got him in there and I shot like 15 frames all together and they go, all right, thank you. Like, and I was like, what do you mean? Like, you know, I was like four minutes already. Like, okay, thank you. We got to go to the next set. And I was like, fuck, man. I don't think I got it, you know? And I ran the film to the lab. I go, I got to sit here and watch you guys do this because this is the most important role of film I ever shot in my life. And they're like, yeah, okay. Well, 
if you want, you know, we've done thousands of rolls of film for you, but if you want to sit here and watch this one, you know, go ahead. So I was like, yeah, please, you know, and I saw it and I was like, I got it. And I went and called my partners. I was like, I, hey, I got the shot. And they're like, okay, good. And they ended up choosing the photo as being the, the, the poster. Main poster yeah. It's funny because that's a cover art. Cartoon did the logo. Our friend Patrick Martinez laid it out and ended up being on every bus bench, every bus, all the billboards, the DVD cover, and it worked out, you know? I attribute that to your divine timing, like what I said before. That's a perfect example of just like that moment. Yep, you yeah. being able to find moments to where, like, even you didn't even realize three minutes yeah. you got what you needed with two two defunct cameras. The third one that clicked real loud was the was the charm. Yeah, right. And then those two <laughs> guys like the like one guy's moving like this, and the other guy's like this. So I had to like time it to where like <laughs> they were like both like moving and like perfectly. You got this thing like, like this. Yeah, it was exactly like that. Yeah, that's funny. But uh, that was it, you know. After that, I was like, man, I could, I could quit now, you know. I shot both of them in one shot. And then the bills came in the mail. I was like, well, maybe not, you know. Maybe I can't quit. Yeah, so <laughs> no doubt. I had to keep going. And I just said, man, I'm just going to go hard now, you know. Yeah. That shit just gave me, like, Superman juice, you know. For sure. That I end up getting to shoot something that I never thought I could do. What was the name of that movie? It was uh, Righteous Kill. Was that Randall Emmett? Was he the producer? I'm not too sure. I actually think he was. It yeah. was him and 50 Cent. In yeah, it was Randall Emmett. Yeah. That shot, that, uh, that produced that. That's your boy. That was, yeah, well, I know him. And it was when Johnny Mesner was talking yeah, about Yeah, that's what I was Yeah, that's yeah, what yeah, I that's why I said that. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. So what's another one of those things that's like, what, what, what could you do now that would make you quit? Nothing. None at all? Nope, nothing will make me quit. Okay. Yeah, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna work till I'm in the grave and I just, I love doing it, you know? Would you now consider, now that looking back, would you consider those shots the most important shots of your life? Or, or now what would you say are the, the ones that were the most important to you looking back now that changed? Uh, I would say all of them. All of them. combined because there's no one job that's made me that's made me period like um, I did a job with Blink 182 it was my biggest music video ever and everybody was telling me oh you made it now once you as soon as this video comes out you're gonna be you're it's, it's gonna be over for you you're gonna go through the roof and I was like okay cool and um that budget was definitely the biggest budget I've ever had. And the next one was the lowest budget I ever had. Not ever, but I mean in that yeah, industry. In category, yeah. So it was like, and I went from the biggest band on the label to the brand new band that was coming out. My very next job. Like what everybody was telling me is I was going to go from that one to the, you know, bigger and bigger and bigger. The record label calls me and they're like, hey, uh, you know, you did so good on that video. That was great. Um, and can you do a favor for us? I was like, yeah, of course. You know, like you guys gave me this big opportunity, whatever you need. We need to do a video for this band. I was like, cool, no problem. And they're like, yeah, but, um, you know, here's the budget. And I was like, oh, <laughs> oh. 
man, you know, like, there was, like, my starting out budgets, you know, I was like, dang, you know, what happened to, I was going to be the next, the, guy the next big there. guy, yeah. Yeah, that's how it works. Are you so. developing right now, any film projects right now? Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah, I'm always, you know, on the grind. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, I just, I don't feel good unless I'm out there doing something, working, you know. Yeah, it's just that, that like kicking it, so much, yeah. yeah, hanging out and stuff is cool, but I just get too anxious, you know. Like I like the nature and everything, but I can go there for about a week and then I gotta get back into the city, you know. I gotta see like movement. I gotta smell like the city. You know, I gotta see some, you know, you buses hit go by. Yeah, I gotta yeah. drive by skid row. Yeah, the like, trucks beeping and I gotta hear some life, you know. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. For just sure. Out there hearing the birds and just complete silence is like, okay, cool, this is good. Like, it's good for a couple of days. And then I just start getting anxious. I go, okay, I gotta go. Yeah. Hit, hit the city. Like, when I hit like New York or Tokyo or something where there's just like nonstop action, I just, I come back to LA fired up. Like, you know, I get like some energy from that. I think, you know, I think there's a, there's a lot of different things to do as far as, like, say, meditative places you can put yourself, but being in a city, because everyone thinks, oh, you have to go out and be in silence, but everyone doesn't have the opportunity to be in silence. Like, if you live in the hood, you have to find places in within your situation that you could find that Yeah, you that plug place. in the source. You know, whether it's, you know, if it's photography, if it's skating, you know what I'm saying? Because my mom used to send me to the beach because she said that will keep you out of trouble. You know, so that the ocean really kind of was the thing that, for the most part of things, would kept me out of trouble. You know what I mean? Because it was yeah. the water, and it was, you know, because when I went back into the the neighborhood, that's when I would get in trouble. Yeah. You know, always. That's for sure. So these, you know, whatever little spots that they they have for, and the reason why I say that is just because of, you know, going through the experience I went through and and being like, like I felt like I'm a typical dude, right? And there's all these other kids that have these experiences end up in prison, you know, and there's then from there, then drugs. And I, I, you know, my friends or me would just bang back and forth between these places. And so I think ultimately looking at like hindsight now having kids and looking back at it going like, fuck, how would I have shaped this or would want to do it differently so my kids have a different, you know, or have a different, they have a choice to choose. You know, I'll go this way, I'll go that way. Yeah. Because either way, like, I don't like telling people, Eddie came over the other day, <laughs> pissed off. I need your help. I'm about to fuck somebody up. I'm going to do some shit right now. Not <laughs> I'm Eddie. like, Eddie came Eddie in hot. Eddie did that? He came in hot. And I, I was like, so I said, let's sit down for He a took second. me to the beach. I said, so what's up? And he was pissed, right? And like, you know, you get mad like that. I don't be telling people what not to do. I just, I'll just look up in the air and take a deep breath. And I go, just know it's up to you what you do right now. What you change in that guy's life, whatever you do is up to you completely. Yeah. Right? It's a decision that you make afterwards is how what you have to deal with and how you live with yourself. And after we sat down and talked about it, I don't know, you know, he it seemed like he changed his 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 view on what well, he I thought did. he I wanted to do. For me it was the whole thing that I have control over it because when someone's getting over on you, you feel like you have no control. I mean, at least myself. So I felt, you know, you know? I felt punked. I felt like the outcome's not up to me, but I know I can do this and that outcome is definitely up to me. And then I was like, 
but when you said that it kind of let me know that like I can also not do that and that's up to me and I kind of just like eased up off it you know and I kind of let it go I went outside and I shook it off and then we went to the beach and we had a short meditation and I felt at ease knowing that I can either hurt this fool or I can just keep it moving keep it pushing mm-hmm. and I didn't do nothing and it was nice it felt nice to just not to know that I could or couldn't and what about your money? Did you get it? <laughs> As a matter of fact, I didn't Let's get, get back. The money. <laughs> yeah, did but you get the money? What about the no, money? No, but you actually did. Said that the guy called back and had and a little said bit he's more. Pay me. And if he's watching this right now. I'm sorry, homie. Now you know what's up. <laughs> no, um, but that's better. Because there's think a good about the other way. He's going to watch this, but it's fine. You know. Hey, I think that's it's it's so important. Like like that decision. That's I think a lot of decisions people make, and end up going fuck, and then they they have to live with those decisions they make so i think a lot of time is having more self-awareness when you make these decisions and not what i'm saying is too is if you someone comes and asks me i think there's messages there's things that you learn from bad shit you know what i mean so say you did i don't know what it is god will make that decision but ultimately something will be learned from the bad and the good yeah you know so everybody trying to preach do this do that the world be perfect blah blah it's a polarity place this is why things happen like that so that there's other people that can there's a, a counterbalance to yeah, it. Yeah, like Michael Beckwith said, it doesn't happen to you, it happens for you. Right. You just have to figure out what that means. For sure. I'm, I'm so stoked you came in, bro, and, and uh, brought your, your everything. For sure. I appreciate it. I, I, uh, I, I enjoy stepping into that world because I grew up in, in a, an interesting place like that. Mm-hmm. And it feels comfortable to me. Um, like real comfortable, like my whole life. Like I never thought I'd have money my whole life. You know, like then all of a sudden I did. I was like, this is a trip. I yeah. was, I never, like I was out of holy shoes and just lived the way that I'd lived growing up. So it does, uh, it's just such a, like, it was great to watch it. I mean, even to see, you know, Seth trip on it, you know, because of, he grew up with a car club, Dukes, was it called, you know? And when he saw it, he was like, wow, like this is amazing. Like he, you know what I mean? like. It really was um, inspirational in what you did, and, and and you know a lot of people just that whole the understanding of what you took and the office the, the how do you say authenticity authenticity was was like on point. You know, people like happy they'll appreciate that stuff. You know, that yeah. work that work that was done. You know, and how beautiful it is. And <laughs> Yeah, those were the days, man. I mean, you know, the one thing for me that I always kind of go back to when I think about what we were doing, and I wasn't doing what you were, we were all doing our own level, right? But it, it gives ho- it gives hope to younger kids that are, you know, Fuck that yeah. might not think there's a way out of the neighborhood or might not think that there's anything other than selling dope or gangbanging or hustling or whatever the, the call of the day is for where they are in their life. But when they look at people like you in Cartoon and other people that we're close to, they're like, oh, I can actually go do something, you know? And th- and I mean this before, it was cool to be like us. Now now it's cool, you see it everywhere. In urban yeah. Outfitters, you know, there's a whole area dedicated to being, you know, from the street, but it's like... It's like what Snoop did, like NWA, or not about Snoop, but NWA, I feel like like that's what you did yeah, for like for a sure. Chicano 100%. lifestyle, like big time. Like, it's, that's what I would kind of be, would be the... Because when you started low riding, there wasn't a whole bunch of clubs. It was like way more limited. Now it's like there's so many clubs across the the, the globe, right? Yeah, you know there was a good amount, but there was like two. 
It feels like there was like three waves of low riding, like the 70s, 80s, late 70s, early 80s, then the 90s, and then the late 2000s. Like like the past, let's say six years maybe, it's just been off the hook. Before the COVID, I think it was the biggest it's ever been. Yeah. Like every, you know, now it's spread out in the world and all the events, they were jam-packed and like there was so much low riding in the streets and, you know, not too much in the, in those, um, you know, fixed areas like the, you know, the car shows and stuff. Cause yeah. those are, people are kind of bored of those, you know, going and setting up your car and just sitting there all day long and, you know, it's fun here and there, but for me, it's, it's a car you know I want to drive it I want it to be in the street have you seen that thing that that entertainment based ride that they're doing on Thursdays or whatever no with Fuzzy and them I saw it on Spectrum I guess it's something where a bunch of entertainers are getting together and low riding from all you know different hoods and sets and, and let me know I saw I'll that. be there yeah like a Shaq was, was Shaq rolling with like Snoop like I saw yeah, that yeah Snoop yeah. goes and Fuzzy Fantabulous is there I can't remember the dude that started it but he's like get me in yeah we, that's, I thought about you when I was there. Like, let's put me on the list. Get pay big page to come out. Yeah, you know what I mean. I'll hit it. Yeah. Well, right on, bro. Yesterday Thanks was for Paige's coming birthday, out. by the way. Soul Assassins. Yeah. Big page. Yeah, man. So uh, what else we want to talk about? Joker. Well, when? Did, what, what? Like, oh, how yeah. did you go from like taking photos and like you know documenting it all to putting it on apparel and becoming a huge brand globally? Like, what was that like? Um. We'd been doing clothing since 1992. Um, me and uh, Big Lucky, we used to work, uh, you know, I, I uh, had this job doing construction and we needed more guys, so I brought in Big Lucky and a couple other friends of mine. And we were working at a guy who had a bunch of stores on Melrose, his house. And that guy was like, after he got to know us, he's like, hey man. I like what you guys are doing. You guys are pretty cool. You know, can we do, I want to open a store with your flavor. And we were like, okay, cool. So Lucky told me like, you know, who can we get to to do some designs for us? I go, I got the perfect guy. And I introduced him to Cartoon and we ended up building this store with, uh, with the guy who had these stores on Melrose. And it was called Supermax, and um, that went I for a couple of years. But then the guy who owned the stores, he got funny with us. So we ended up all pulling out of that. And we, we met some uh, guys in Japan that wanted to take the clothes over there. So we started doing orders for them. And then uh, we just deaded that company and came out with another one called Not Guilty. We ran with uh, Not Guilty for a few years. And then when uh, Cartoon was doing a line called Joker with another friend of ours, and they they kind of wanted to go their own ways. So when at that point Not Guilty had been, we were go going to court for the name. Some lady had the name. So we, uh, we're like, you know what? We told Cartoon, our other friend, like, be real from Cypress Hill. was like, hey man, I want to get into the clothing game. And because uh, Everlast had been working with the not guilty stuff with me and Lucky. So when 
we ended not guilty, B was like, hey, I want to do some closing stuff too with you guys, you know, how can I get in? I was like, well, we should just go get Joker from Cartoon and the other homie, and then, you know, that'll there be our thing. And we bought the rest of the inventory off of them and just ran with that. We had already had the catalogs made. We had some inventory, and we just started pushing that one, took it on tour. I made sure that we, wear, we wore it at every show, every interview. And uh, it was getting in the magazines and, you know, on, on every video, every interview that we were doing so you know we're we were getting out there and then every time I would do a photo shoot for like a hip-hop magazine I would bring a box of Joker as a gift for it's like say Mob Deep and I'd be like hey homies you know welcome to LA you know this is um, this is our clothing brand and they're like oh word you know can we throw it on for the photo shot? I go, yeah, you don't have to, but if you want to, that'd be great. <laughs> right on. So then every time I go shoot, I bring a box for whoever I'm shooting of clothes. Like I took Ice Cube some clothes and he, he wears it, you know, so everybody started wearing the clothes and it just started getting out there through, the, through those channels, you know, and which was like a non-traditional way of a clothing brand starting and getting out there like most people had to pay for advertising and they had to set up photo shoots with models and all that but I was in the hip-hop world already and I knew all these people and then I was shooting for a magazine so I had like the Cypress Hill family you know right as you know coming into the thing so when I did hey what's up you know to Mob Deep hey guys what's up I'm Esteban from Cypress Hill and they're like oh okay cool yeah, yeah, that, you know, that's our shit right there. You know, people would automatically, when you were affiliated with Cypress Hill and House of Pain and you're, that's your family, Yeah. you come in with the, you know, arms open, open doors, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. So everybody was just wearing our shit just on the strength. And so we had just full, like, we could even, we are like, hey, can we put a picture of you in the ad? And they're like, yeah. So then we started advertising. We had all the hottest dudes in the hip-hop game wearing our stuff. And it kind of blew up, you know. It was doing, it was doing good. It originally started like as a as a Chicano Latino clothing line, but because we were so in deep with the with the hip hop community, and we knew everybody, and we were going everywhere, and you know, I would bring boxes of clothes on tour if we'd be touring with the bands, you know. I'd be like, hey guys, you know this is our clothing brand they're like oh okay yeah so everybody on tour would be wearing it it's just like we had everything just wide open for us and um we did pretty good with that you know we we made some bad decisions with partnering with people that wanted to be involved in the company but on the outside you know as far as what everybody saw we we're killing the game you know yeah, we did some dope trade show parties back in the days, remember? Yeah, we, we did those magic shows. And yeah. We did a show at the Hard Rock, and it was oversold. It was like way too sold out. Yeah. With House of Pain, Crazy Town, and Cypress, or Sugar Ray, or somebody. Yeah, I was like, you know, we were tripping out. Like, I have a picture of that, the, you know, Cypress Hill show by Joker Brand uh -huh. on the marquee at the <coughs> Hard Rock Hotel. Like, I was like, man, we we made it, you know, like, and we weren't even big, you know, like, there was, like, companies like FUBU and 
Sean, John, and Rockaway, they were shipping like 300 million a year or something like that. I'm like, man, how do they even, where do they come up with these numbers? Like, this is crazy, you know? But then, um, and you know, our company was way, way, way smaller than that, but we felt like we were, we were making it, you know? We were doing big things because we had everybody in our gear. We were doing all the coolest shit. And we, we feel like we had the first streetwear brand that was really streetwear, you know? There was like other graffiti wear brands or... They crossed boys. over into surfwear. A friend of ours, pro surfer Ricky, did a thing called hardware and he took it from Supermax. Yeah. And he actually sold it, made some yeah, money. Yeah, I remember that one. Do you remember hardware? Yeah, didn't he do like some, some knuckles or something? Yeah, but he did, yeah, he, it was straight off, he bit off of what you guys were doing. He was yeah. a pro surfer and he created, yeah, this like, uh, I think it was called hardware. Ended up selling off some company in Japan or something like that. Yeah, I think I remember logo. He had Lokes on and his yeah, yeah. was out and it said hardware on his, or under it or something. Yeah, and like yeah. his whole thing, like uh, those clasps for like, you know, he had those jackets that looked like almost like uh, metal clasps. And like bulletproof vest. Yeah, or like, like a and, and then. jacket. Yeah, and then they were trying to do the thing to where, you know, and they give you the thing from like county and has the, the thing, like, you know, the jacket they give out or something like that. He had some kind of gimmicky thing going on like that. But it's interesting just because they, it just crossed over into all these yeah. different, like, you know, people biting on to, you know, whatever going to. Well, I mean, when we were out back in the days, we'd be out with corn, you know, all the blank, you know, and then you'd see those dudes wearing this shit because they wanted to be down yeah. with the culture. So that translates outward, you know, rather than just having Cypress or Cycle Realm or whoever, House of Pain, it was way beyond that. Isn't it trippy though? So when you see some dudes in Tokyo like with throwing down lowriders, I just look at it and I just kind of, I mean, it's cool, but I just like go, oh, okay. Well, back to that. I mean, he was shooting for Fine magazine. Yeah, we had a my first one of my first jobs was a Japanese magazine, and it was we'd get two pages every month. It was called Fine magazine, and and our section was called Low Life, and we'd get paid like four hundred bucks a page every month for two pages, me and Cartoon. So that was like our first, one of our first jobs that was like a consistent thing. Like every month we knew really? we had to do, it, it ended up going to four pages because you know, they got a good response because the magazine had like all kinds of youth culture in it, like surf, skate, punk rock, hip hop, low riding. They, they had everything in, right. in the 90s, in the early 90s. and. Um, it was a trip that, you know, out of everybody, the magazine that would help, like it's always a trip for us, is like the people that that really push for us in, in that kind of way is not people in LA, from LA. Like the, the first magazine that would give us a shot, they're from Japan. The, the guys that would give us a shot for the documentary, they were in Argentina, you know, right. like. Why isn't people from, like, we had to really, like, fight to be in magazines in L.A., like, you know, almost beg them, you know, like, hey, you know, can you, can we do this or can you do that? And, yeah, yeah, you know, we'll, we'll give you a call, you know. Or, like, people for the documentary, like, hey, we have this documentary, like, yeah, cool, you know, I just don't know how we'd market it or this, that, and the other. Like, how much did you guys want again? You know, like, you know, we want the regular the regular budget that you give any other documentary, you know? Don't you, try and It's a perfect a example of, of his timing again. Because yeah. he was out there going, bam, 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 I need to do this, 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 and, and he couldn't do it. And they said, no, because I'm gonna go international. So that international, the, like thing that sent him there is what 
is why everything happened. They had a different, he had a different story going. I'm going to go like his tentacles went, you know, because you were thinking in here and here and you were like, it just went out. Yeah. And due to those things, like, like we had, a, we always yeah. had, like on our, on our uh, designs, we always put Joker brand worldwide because like we always had like so much love and response from all around the world. Like we'd go on, on we'd go to shows here in the States and people were like, you know, being cool. They're like, yeah, this is cool. Bobbing their head at the show and you go to another country and they're just losing their mind. Like you go to Latin America and they're like, yeah, they're, going they're going crazy because they don't get to see that shit that often. You know, here it's kind of like you're z desensitized exactly, to stuff yeah. here because you yeah, see, you it, see so it every day. Speaking of that, let's talk about Ireland for a second. Go ahead. Do you remember that? Which which part? So this guy, this we go to Ireland, and uh, Eric had a, a, a family emergency. He had to come back. Everless had to come back to the states. Remember that? The first night we get there, he says, "I got to go back home. There's an emergency." So we have this emergency meeting in the room, and we get on a speakerphone with Happy Walters, who you know. Yeah. Shout out to Happy, buzzed him, and they're like. Esteban, we need you to to play Everlast, and he's like, uh, I'm Everlast. I'm not playing Everlast. I'll DJ, I'm, but I'm not playing Everlast. Why doesn't Eddie play Everlast? Do you remember that? Yeah. And he's like, it gets quiet in the room, and Happy's like, Eddie, I'm like, yeah, what's up, Happy? He's like, would you be down to give it a shot? <laughs> I, don't, I don't rap. I mean, I'm not a rapper. I, I can rap along to the song, but I, I've never written rhymes. It's never been something I wanted to do. I kind of got staged, like, I, you know. <laughs> Thanks to this guy, I get faxed a copy of the set list, and we're sharing a room. I'm in the bathroom all night with, at the time, it was a Sony Walkman, Discman, and I'm in the bath bathroom all night learning the lyrics while he's in there sleeping nice and comfortable because he knows he doesn't have to do it. And we're in Dublin, Ireland. So we go on the next day, Esteban's DJing, me, Danny, and Lee are running around up front on stage, and I'm there doing the best I can to recite Eric's lyrics. But oh, you did it. I mean, I had to do it. I was going to get Eric's pay for the night if it, yeah. worked, if it worked out. And uh, it didn't work out. No, I would say that you don't look like him. Yeah, I don't. He's, yeah, you it's don't. very different. And we're in Dublin. You know, like, yeah, yeah, like yeah. Nashville, where it's kind of like whatever. <laughs> I don't think it would work there. So at though. the end of the show, Danny goes jump in the crowd because every show we went on, I would stage dive. They moved. Because no, when you're on the road and you're part of the band and you're like, you know, when you jump in, they're like, they love you. Yeah, they, yeah, they talk, bring you out, push yeah. you back in. Not this time. They suck me straight to the floor. And and him and Tiny, remember Tiny was who was there? No, no, Tiny wasn't. Yeah, was Tiny there? That's funny. Whoever it was, they jump in and they save me. My Jesus piece got snatched. I was completely beat up. And he's laughing the whole time like he is right now. Like, how was that, Eddie Last? Yeah. <laughs> so That's what we called him, Eddie Last. That night it was, right? Everlast and Eddie Last. Yeah. yeah. This is his stepbrother. We don't have Everlast, but we got Eddie Last. Yeah. I mean, they were literally throwing <laughs> bottles at the stage, though, Joe. Like, we're, we want Eric. We want in bottles. He said, oh, we got his Eddie. <laughs> <laughs> we got Eddie last. Yeah, I never got my Jesus piece back, or did I get the pay, but whatever. You know, we did it for the squad. But that was playing a serious trick in Ireland, dude, is actually getting up and putting some half black dude up on stage and saying, this is Everlast. Well, they called it the House of Pain crew to get away from <laughs> yeah. the House of Pain. You know, we were like, you know. 
but we were on a plane the next day back home. Yeah, like some, we've done shows like that with Cypress too, where you know, but there's other bands that have done it too, like Pink Floyd's done it. You know, where their their front guy has changed throughout the years, and as long as you're bringing the music and those lyrics, and people can you know live off live those memories. Yeah, you know, through that that music that night, most of them are pretty cool with it. You know, there's a couple of the diehard fans that'll get burned out. You know, but for the most part, if the same music's playing and you hear those same lyrics and stuff, then and the it's all good. Right. Yeah, just pop a few mushrooms or whatever, smoke some weed, and you're there. You know. Yeah, they'll be like, "Was that Eddie last or Everlast?" Yeah, he's calling for you to drop your arms. Oh, Uh-oh. sorry. Anyway, what else? Well, that was awesome. Art show. Oh, yeah, let's talk about that. Ready? Let's do it. Can we, we're still going, right? Yeah, we'll edit right into that. So now we're going to jam you up real quick. I think we talked a little bit about it, but I'm not sure if we did. But we're doing a virtual art show that may have a permanent uh, residency in uh, New York. We're working on something with Casey right now, um, seventh letter. But we are going to be raising money for mental illness or wellness, however you look at it. Mental health. Which is assist. Yeah. And also raising money for addiction. Uh, Rock to Recovery. Guys from, uh, he was in Corn. He also. He was West, in Head P. Yeah. Remember them? Back in the day. West. He's also, he was also in uh, Alien Ant Farm. He was in a bunch of bands. Um, but he has a thing called Rock to Recovery. So we're going to donate some money to that. And then we also are going to donate some money to Native Americans. Um, and whoever's you can pick the, the the you can pick the charity that you want your money to go to or what you want to align with, and we were thinking maybe we could get you to be a part of that. We've had some pro athletes. Uh, this this is it. Kelly Slater's surfboard and Retina painted it. We had one of the uh, Bruce Irons gave us a board. Retina painted it. We gave uh, some money to homeless with that. So we we uh, came up with the idea to bring some other athletes and musicians together to do collaborations in art and to do um, to raise money for these pieces uh, for addiction and for mental health so I'm trying to get Ruka involved yeah Pat. that's good Bagel's going to donate some prints um, we've got a long list of people who have already said yes but we'd like to get you know I'd love you. to talk to you about is if there's something we can do to help um, raise some money to do, to put together something to to put together um, uh, something for kids with photography, something that maybe be, make it easier on you to say, hey, I would be able to do that to bring it to some kids in the hood, you know what I'm saying, or in inner city, something like that, you know. What like a little photographer? Yeah, yeah, there. you know That'll what work. I mean, something like that. I mean, it's really easy to pay for a print and put it in a frame and hope for they command some money, but both would be amazing. Mm-hmm. Whatever it is, you whatever you wake up and go, that sounds good to me, is cool. Yeah. If it's none or all the above, is cool. Because you're here, so that was yeah. cool. I always, you know, I've never said no to Eddie once. Huh. That's right. You know what might work? I just thought of this, and I appreciate that. Thank you. But maybe we get someone like an at-risk youth from the hood can come out and shadow a day for a photo shoot with this deadline. So he's not taking time away from his day, but he's actually bringing someone out to experience you know, getting seeing a music video shot. Or if you tie that to the to the mm-hmm. the documentary, so and see it, and if you use that and say, hey, Something you like could that, yeah. sit in. That's where 360 would make sense. Where's he at? Yeah, that, that we could work something we'll out to where we'd be able to raise some money for something you're doing, and th- that would help with 
fun with the youth, if it was something yeah. that felt, you know, felt right to you. And there's one last thing that we really want to do. Mm-hmm. We want to meditate with you right now. Really? He's going to go kidding. there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's we like... We want to do some yoga. We want to do some Kundalini. Like, he wants to get you into some Kundalini classes. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. Open your chakras, homie. Yeah. You ever do yoga? Mm-hmm. I think I tried it once. Yeah. You should try it. I mean, I don't want to be the pusher here of like, you know, but if, you know, Kundalini saved my life to a certain extent, you know, or at least at this phase of my life. Mm-hmm. He was, the funny thing is that Eddie was the only, the only person that listened. Because imagine being like, I grew up my whole life on the street and being exposed to the way the street is. Yeah. You know, but I woke up, you know, one day and I was tripping and I told my ex-wife, I was like, people that aren't here are speaking to so my best friend that used to like run dope everywhere for me, like straight up, like made a movie about it when Vin yeah. Diesel called a man apart. This cat died and came back and started communicating with me. Now I'm a normal cat, but I was like, something's up here, man. Like how's this cat communicating with me? Yeah. I was fucking tripping, dude, straight up. So I went to my, no, because well, Bally told him to talk to Eddie. Yeah, so the only person, so this dead dude, this guy, dead, he tells me, and I'm really successful. I have got a lot of things. I've acquired a lot. I have convertible Bentleys, hard Bentleys. I'm building $20 million homes. I'm chilling. He's like, go talk to Eddie. And I'm like, this is crazy. So I got this dead guy telling me to go talk to Eddie. What's Eddie doing? Like, he's going to get me in trouble. <laughs> he's going to me in trouble. What kind of spirit's coming to me? Yeah. Right? I go to Eddie, but he was the only person that listened to me because my ex that said, oh, he lost his mind. He's crazy. But because of the things that me and Eddie had done when we were younger, he looked me straight in the eyes and he looked at me and he goes, Just tell me right now, look at me. And I said, bro, this is fucking happening, man. And he was like, oh, shit. I go, I ain't kidding. I don't know what to do. Like, she thinks I went crazy. Like, this has happened, right? Like, I'm still fucking me. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, and, but this is happening. We've never, I, never, I don't know if you really know our story, but I met Joey under some, some very precarious parts of, you know, weird situation. Where somebody was gonna jack him for a kilo of coke and wanted me to make front him an ounce so they could make a window, and then we ended up taking the guy on a long ride and letting him out on the side of the freeway. So like that was our initial meeting, kind of like how we got thrown in the hot seat on a different level. We got thrown in the hot seat, and after that we were just like we were boys. And I worked for well, I worked with Joey for for years. So um, my yeah, that. so my my friends like that's what I was saying about spirituality. Like my guys were doing Santeria and fucking doing things for loads to get through. So I was like, that was a trip to me. Cause I'd like watch this shit happening. I'd be like, yeah, whatever. Cause I was a surf dude, but I was going down and dealing with some dudes out in, you know, Mexico yeah, like and tr- Arizona. Real shit, like doing real, real shit. You, yeah, like, you know, like real shit. So when this happened, I was like this, come on, me? They got and the wrong could, guy. <laughs> all I could tell him was you should go to my Kundalini teacher and, you know, see what she has to say. I was terrified he was going to go in there and like make a fool of everybody and whatever. And, and it went well. And she kind of guided him through the first phase of this awakening that he had or this, this change. But I mean, the Joey I knew, Esteban, wasn't, it was very black and white. You're on time, you're late, you know, you're short, like, you know, there, no, there's no reason why, where, who, I don't care if whatever where where is it you know what i mean yeah and so when he looked at me and he was just off i was like okay something's not right let's get him over there and he went to kundalini and then it helped guide him to where he is now yeah but i was a very dollar and cents type of dude you know yeah like like so what i you know what kind of like what i knew about i knew i didn't want to be on the street anymore so I started writing about the experiences and that's what a man apart was and what you're starting vin diesel and lorenz tate about the Mexican drug cartel. 
So that was just something that I just started, you know, doodling, and I, I never thought it'd actually get done. You know what I mean? And then all of a sudden, I got forty million dollars from New Line to produce the movie, and I was like, "Oh shit, this is actually going to happen." But you know, you never really think of any of the things that could happen, or people talking to you that aren't here anymore. But it happened in my family, and it ended me up in a mental institution. So when I was there. I started seeing that all the people that were communicating with me had died from heroin or drank themselves to death. I got the fucking bad news bearer speaking to me. So I'm trying to, they're like, what's going on? I'm explaining to them. And the more I'm telling them, the more they're thinking I'm crazy. So I was like, this is a fuck, are you kidding me? You just asked me how I feel and I told you now they're, <laughs> count back from five slow. And I'm like, guys, I'm totally fine. Yeah. But due to what I was saying, it just freaked them out, but also the polarity. Like if I was like an altar boy before, they'd have been like, oh, it's okay. But because of the dynamic that I came from way over that side, it was just too hard for them to get, they were like, no. Even my wife, like like my like my ex-wife's dad was in a witness protection for 30 years. Like that, this wasn't something, we didn't have this type of thing that happened. So that's why for me, and just even rapping with people like you, and just it, just knowing this balance is here. Like I'm spiritual, so this is you. We're all spiritual, but we're having a human experience, and we're here. Like the way you find this divine timing, you don't realize it, but you hit it every time. How do you? How's that happen? It does, because you 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 were able to find it, navigate through. You know, so depending, and it doesn't really matter where you're from, the street, up there, wherever it is. My whole thing was just finding out how to tap into that, like call it higher potential, source, whatever it is, it makes you kind of either riddle off the most beautiful shots in the world or you know, pull off 11 world titles if you're Kelly Slater. But it's just exposing and showing other kids that no matter where it is or who you are, that there's, these, there's other things that you can do with these um, situations that you've been put in. It's not, it's not a horrible. They look horrible, but it's actually a gift. So that's kind of where we're yeah. And I appreciate you coming in. I, I, I almost stopped it earlier because I, I thought you had to be somewhere. So I apologize about that. Yeah. You see me? I was like, thank you for coming. He kept talking. Like, oh, we're here. No, still. I had to break out the Ireland story. No, no, we had to do it. I'm glad we you did. We had to talk about Joker. Um, I just got to go to Mug's studio. Yeah. All right, we'll handle that. Do a video. Got a video tomorrow. What are you doing? Who, who are you shooting for? Uh, Rome Streets. It's an artist that he's putting out. I'm going to shoot a video tomorrow. Just low-key no permits no kind of like just winging it running around town but those always work out good because that's how i work the best does labuda did you know labuda did he try to rep you Is yeah that, does he now or no um he comes every once in a while and has jobs specific jobs say like hey this guy wants to do you can you write a treatment i'm like yeah yeah no problem i got you and then i i'm not good at writing treatments and i don't know anybody that does them so i just Blow it yeah, yeah, I blow it off, and I don't hear from him till the next year. And he's like, "Hey, I got this huge artist. They want you to do the video." I'm like, "Oh fuck, really? Okay, cool. Let's do it." And then again, I'm at the same place where I'm like, oh, "Okay, writing a treatment." Like I'm more good when I'm just thinking shit yeah. out than writing down stuff. And like, you know, if I've had to write treatments for videos and stuff like that, and we usually got somebody to write my ideas down and then they would elaborate on them. You know, that, that type of language that- That's what I would try to do with video the- Video commissioners want to hear because 
it's almost like legal language you know like the treatment writing that'd be a wrap you know well when that one's done we'll say goodbye yeah yeah anyway Esteban we want to thank you for coming out we appreciate your time thank you we want to wish you luck in everything you have coming and also extend the, the offer to you if you ever want to do some Kundalini yoga me and Julia <laughs> no really I mean I'm not I'm saying if you ever want to come out to the house and meditate it's a great view we're here yeah this is what we do yeah but and meditating too is like, it's like it's the same thing when no one's around you and you're taking pictures and like nothing is else is in your head besides you like yeah. that's meditating like some people I think that there's so many different types of meditation yeah that people get stuck on you have to be sitting there going blah, blah, blah. it's not <laughs> But I really want to see him going. You know yeah. what I'm saying? <laughs> I have a hard time getting there. Yeah, sorry. Right. Well, we'll I did. I didn't think ever, bro, with all the dope and all the things I did, and I was like, like people ADD. You see me? I kind of have a tap, or I was the last person I thought that would be able to drop in and meditate. And once I was able to do that, it really, really slowed all these things up, and helped me, like big time. I didn't think I was able to do it. And once I was able to capture yeah, that time, I was like, oh, damn, this is what this yeah, is. Yeah, once you got in, you can't get miss out. It. Yeah, because yeah, it's like, can't get out. You, you can't. It's like, it's that, you know, every day you wake up with it, my day ends up better knowing that I connected with that source. Yeah. And and it's just like setting up in the day. I'm going to set up and go, okay, I'm going to set an intention for the day. And go, drink my coffee and do the same thing. I'm still dude, right? But I just create that energy around me no one else sees it, but then they do start to see it. People are like, I want to be around that cat. He got some positive energy. Sure. I go, well, you know what I did? I did my dit in the morning. Yeah, Try no, it. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> yep. They see, you know, he'll be going, I tried yeah, it. No, no, no. No, no. I'll send you some, uh, some easy ones you can do at home by yourself. Some prosperity mantras and meditations is where that's what kind of got me i was like you mean i can sit on the floor for 11 minutes and money will start falling from the sky Dude, his ass would be <laughs> levitating he'd be like i think i like this you know what's funny is like i'm in one of the old dudes that we just interviewed uh was you know he was in prison i think for 11 12 years not kane the other dude he was running dope to, to hawaii and i don't say for who but you know south side whatever it was that was his his area yeah. you know and then he, he became a life coach. Like he got into meditation and he was selling dope, got pit, he got, you know, got jammed up with a big one. And I thought it was fascinating that, you know, how he found, he goes, yeah, I had an awakening in prison, you know, but I was so close to all those dudes. They kind of let me out of my situation to kind of, to kind of find this, yeah, yeah, to move on. And I was allowed to, to do it. And I was like, really? And so he became a life coach. The other dude that I interviewed, he robbed a hundred banks. The first bank he robbed was my bank. This dude Kane. And I was like, I gotta, I gotta meet this cat, right? He robbed a hundred banks, and then he turned himself in. He, he was, he wasn't even in trouble. He turned himself in. He was looking at 150 years, and he did it because he was like feeling like he wanted to make a change with his life. And he got, I think, like 10 or 11 years. Yeah, you know him. Does he know Kane? No, maybe not. I mean, he just told you he meet a hundred people a day on tour, but you know him. He was around all. He was 45 Davids. Day. You also know who his driver was. <laughs> Yeah, but he, but, he, but he went and he turned himself in. They gave him like 10 years or something like that, nine years. And he, it, it, interesting enough, he brought the Rev there and they started bringing meditation into the correctional facilities. And I was like, wow, that's pretty dope. Shout out it, to Agape. Yeah, for sure. So I just feel like stuff like that, you know, like there's guys that are in there that come out. And I'm not saying don't do this or yes, do this, but just have a choice for somebody that they can make it. You know, like I don't be the guy saying you shouldn't go do that. 
or you should go do this. Mm -hmm. But here it is. You it's up it to out. you. Yeah. All right. Bada bing. Thanks for coming. Forget about it. Yeah. Essay all day. Essay <laughs> all day. We appreciate you. No Thanks, problem. Bro. No problem. All right. Out. Space between. Thank you guys for tuning in. Satnam. <laughs>